You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh God, we pray that you would come in power and might and that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would dwell in our midst and bring our life about by the means of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Where do you seek God? Where do you go to find him? Where is he for you? The women that woke up early on that first Easter day, uh, they were going to find Jesus, and they had every expectation that they would find him as they left him dead and laying in a tomb. Uh, They weren't able to finish the work of uh, preparing the body for burial because of the Sabbath, and so they got up early because they wanted to honor Jesus and because they loved Jesus. And their only real concern was, how is it that we're going to get to him because the stone that is going to be laid in front of the tomb, it's so large. But that question was answered almost immediately before their very eyes when they saw that the stone had been rolled away. And to their astonishment, there where Jesus' body was laid dead, there sat a young man dressed in a white robe. And he said to them, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. The very place that they expected him to be, and they had no reason to expect otherwise, even though Jesus had said, I am going to be raised from the dead, They thought this is where they would find Jesus. And of course, in our own lives, we all have ideas about where Jesus is for us, where we can find him, where Jesus ought to be. But more often than not, God undoes our plans and our own ideas and our own conceptions and manifests himself where he chooses. And he draws us to himself by faith. I wonder if it would be helpful to compare Uh, this seeking out Jesus to appetites. We all have appetites, especially when it comes to food. There are things that we prefer. There are things that satisfy us. There are things that don't. But what about your spiritual appetites? Where are you trying to satisfy your spiritual appetite? In my own life and in my ministry, I've encountered all kinds of spiritual appetites. There are those who are starving for a spiritual connection who will go to great lengths in order to satisfy their longings. And the farther away they can go, the better. They're into the journey. They want to make sure that they do it the right way. They love going to far-flung places in order to find God. And then there are those who are just happy to be convenient spiritual gluttons. They're just people who are just happy to have whatever's at arm reach, at arm's reach, whatever's being fed to them, whatever works, whatever's easy spiritually speaking. There are people who have that kind of appetite. And then finally, we find here in the pages of the Bible and in our readings this afternoon, those who find their satisfaction, their deepest longings, met in Jesus Christ. What is your spiritual appetite? 
How would you describe your spiritual palate? Maybe you're one of those people that is starved spiritually and will go to great lengths to find spiritual satisfaction. And the more far-fetched and exotic, the better. Lauren and I took the girls out to Sedona, Arizona for spring break, and it's a really beautiful place. But I wasn't prepared for Sedona. Uh, It was beautiful, yes, but Sedona's a weird town. It's sort of this mix of retired Republicans, hippies, cowboys, and New Agers. And we'd go on these beautiful hikes, and we'd get to these vistas, and I would learn, after going to a couple of these, that there are these spiritual vortices in Sedona. And that is, there are these locations where people will go to make a spiritual connection because they've been told that this is where they can connect. And I learned that one of this one vortex was meant to help you balance your spirit. And another vortex was to help you gain clarity of thought. And when we would go to these places, there would be people praying. There would be people playing music. There would be people meditating. They had come not for the beautiful views, but to make a spiritual connection. And some of them had come a long way to make that connection. Well, I I wanted to get to the bottom of this to figure out what this was all about. And what I learned was that a psychic from California in the 1950s by the name of Paige Bryant discerned these vortices in Sedona. Now, I also learned that Paige Bryant wasn't in the best of health and that all of these vortices are in very pretty locations and conveniently 200 yards away from a parking lot. But the longing to make that connection was there, and worse yet, Paige Bryant would later say, the vortices in Sedona are now closed, and they're all in Asheville, North Carolina. It would have been, why not Des Moines? Because, of course, if you go to Asheville or if you go to Sedona, Arizona, you look out and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And, of course, you're going to feel something. Of course, you're going to say, this is just breathtaking. But I would imagine many people came down off those mountains and they still had a hole in their hearts. They'd come from far and wide seeking spiritual satisfaction that simply wasn't met. And we too, maybe we're not going to Sedona or to the ends of the earth, but aren't we all seeking those mountaintop experiences spiritually? And when we actually attain those, we spend the rest of our lives trying to recreate them. What's the next thing? And round and round it goes, and it feels like we're starving spiritually. Well, maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're somebody who is glutted spiritually. You're comfortable You're settled, and you're happy to consume whatever seems to work best, whatever tastes best. In a word, you're fat and happy. And you think that Christianity is true because it works. It's a very utilitarian view, and it's not as if you're antagonistic toward Christianity, but Jesus is kind of this appendage on your life that is there when things get bad. You know, you've got Jesus in this little case that says, break in case of emergency. 
And he's there in those times, but by and large, you go through your day-to-day life and you don't really need Jesus all that much. And really, ultimately, you like Jesus because at some level, he makes you happy. But listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote when he became a Christian. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. But a lot of us do treat Jesus in that way. And to be honest, it's really easy to be a Christian in Birmingham, Alabama. The culture, by and large, affirms the notion of Christianity, but does it really? Does it really? There was a man in a church that I served who I once asked, why are you a Christian? And he said, because I was born in America. And what he meant by that was, because I'm born in America, I was born in the American South, I'm a Christian. But if I was born in, if I had been born in Saudi Arabia, I would have been a Muslim. If I had been born in India, I would have been a Hindu. And really, my Christianity and my faith is the product of circumstance. And I tick off the box Christian because that's the one I most relate to, even though I'm not fully committed to it. This is someone who's comfortable and happy and glutted spiritually. But what this man didn't understand was what it actually took in order for God to get a hold of him. It wasn't about circumstance, because what we learn from the pages of the Bible is that before the very foundations of the earth, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's because God chose you. He set his eye upon you, and he was willing to move heaven and earth to get to you. He left his throne in heaven to be born in a feeding trough, to live the perfect life on your behalf, to die on your behalf, reconciling you to God the Father, being raised from the dead on your behalf, and now intercedes for you and will come again in order to take you home and to set this world to right. That's not circumstance. If you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's because it was divinely orchestrated from the very foundations of the earth. It takes on a greater significance than, yeah, Jesus and I are okay. We've got a relationship. He kind of knows where each of us stands. Not too close, but not too far away. No. When Jesus lays a hold of you, he lays a hold of you. And so maybe you're starved spiritually this afternoon. You've read all the books. You've made all the trips, and yet you're still hungry. Or maybe you're glutted, and you realize that all you've been doing is feeding yourself on cultural junk food that masquerades as Christianity, but is anything but. It's got hints of it, but it's just given you a sickness. And you long for food that satisfies, that makes you whole that gives you health, that gives you wholeness. And that's what happened with these women that came to the tomb of Jesus. And that's the call on our lives when we see that the tomb is empty. We don't stay there. 
We don't look for the next, next best option. We go after Jesus. And we live for Jesus. We go where he is. And the affections of our heart are changed. Upon hearing that Jesus was raised from the dead, the women were commissioned to go and tell. Being told that Jesus was raised from the dead was not just a fact. Hey, do you know that Jesus was raised from the dead? It was information that had implications. Then and today, if you want a real spiritual experience, if you long for spiritual satisfaction, then turn to Jesus. Your starved spirituality, when you turn to Jesus, is transformed into a starving for Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Your heart is now oriented to the only thing that is going to fill you up. And for those of us that are glutting ourselves on, on spiritual junk food, when we turn to Jesus, we find that he's the only one that satisfies He prepares a banquet before us in the midst of our enemies. Total transformation. A change of affection. This was the experience of Paul that he refers to in 1 Corinthians, where he gives us a little bit of a look back to his own testimony. Think about Paul. He had a broad palate, spiritually speaking, Because not only was he starving spiritually and trying to find God, he was glutting himself on a diet of lies. Paul was on his way to Damascus to kidnap Christians in the middle of the night and to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and extrajudicial killings. And he believed in his heart of hearts that this is what God wanted him to do. He was sure of it. And where did God meet him? He certainly wasn't heading toward God. On the side of a road, God intervened in his life, knocked him off his horse, and Paul was a changed man. The book of Acts would describe him as one who was turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ. A former persecutor of the church of God, and now an apostle of God himself. That was the experience of these women. If you were to read on and look at the other Gospels, that that empty tomb meant that their lives were transformed and that Jesus was alive. And they became the first evangelist to tell the disciples that Jesus was alive. Now, our stories may not be as dramatic But they are just as powerful, just as transforming. Because God's ability to save and transform is not any less today than it was in Paul's day when it was in those women's day. It's the same spirit. He's the same spirit that converts us and transforms us. For me, my experience wasn't terribly dramatic. There weren't flashes of light. There wasn't blindness. There wasn't a man robed in white sitting on a coffin. But it was the summer after fifth grade for me, and my mother took me to vacation Bible school, not for spiritual reasons, but uh, because 
we loved free childcare. And so we were a very ecumenical family. And whatever door was open, we tended to go to. And uh, while I was there, uh, the pastor of the church, I don't remember his name, uh, laid out the gospel and told me about Jesus and, and asked if you'd like to be in a relationship with Jesus and to know the living God and to know what it means to have life and life to the full, raise your hand. And I thought, that's a pretty good idea. I, I think I'd like to do that. And I walked away not sure that I felt any different, not sure what might change. And yet as I look back, I can honestly say since I was 11 years old, I have had one consuming passion, and that is Jesus Christ. He changed me. He pulled me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. Who is Christ Jesus? My strivings, my longings, my hunger ceased. And I began to drink deep from the wells of his grace and to feast at the banquet of his word. I began to love because he first loved me. And I'm here to tell you that the most incredible adventure that you can embark upon in this world is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll never be the same again. Are you starved? Are you searching but not finding answers? Are you tired of feeding on spiritual junk food and long for the real thing to be filled up? Cast them aside and see that Jesus lives. Turn to him and truly live. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.